Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. It's good to, good to be together, good to be with you all as we just lean in. I love this season of Advent. Um, just all the, I mean, there's all the Christmas traditions of, of us and, and all that beautiful stuff, but I love pressing in as a church and the candles and, and all of it is so, is so fun. Um, but we're really going <clears> to... <throat> lean in to this story that Kelly just read for us, this story between uh, Mary and Elizabeth. I think this encounter that they have with one another is really powerful. Um, And I really want to look at the words of blessing that Elizabeth speaks over Mary. But let me back up a little bit before I do that. As a reminder, we're um, looking at the Advent story through the Gospel of Luke right now, right? And in the Gospel of Luke, the story doesn't begin like we might expect with the birth of Jesus, right? That's the the big thing that we want to get to. It doesn't even begin with Mary's pregnancy. It actually begins with these two characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth were never able to have children, right? And they were well past their childbearing years at this point, when suddenly this angel appears to Zechariah. Despite the low likelihood of ever having kids, Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying faithfully for years to have children, and their prayer was about to be answered. Earlier in Luke 1, which we're reading from, uh, we see this in verse 13. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. But after all these years of prayer and infertility, infertility, Zechariah just doesn't buy it. He questions the angel. And because of his disbelief, the angel strikes him mute. He would be unable to speak until the birth of his son, all because of one question. It can be easy for us, I think, you know, now we have hindsight is twenty twenty. It can be easy for us to judge Zechariah for his doubting, for his questioning of this promise from God. But honestly, I resonate with Zechariah. I can understand why Zechariah didn't believe this angel. Despite his faithful prayers, there must have been this part of Zechariah that had given up on ever having children. He brought this desire before God year after year after year, and nothing ever changed. His unanswered prayers, unmet desires, unsatisfied dreams must have led to a sense of despair. He must have felt like nothing would ever change. And I'm sure like all of us, Zechariah had his good days and his bad days. He had his days where it felt like God was going to answer his prayers and his days when God seemed nowhere to be found. But in this story, we catch a glimpse of Zechariah on a bad day. We catch Zechariah on a day not filled with hope, but a day filled with despair. But what's interesting, and Melissa got into this last week, um, about Zechariah's response to the angel, is that it's really not that different from Mary's response, which we would hear a few verses later, at least at first glance. They both question the angel's announcement of miraculous pregnancies. However, when we take a little closer look, and I want to just look at it a little bit closer, we see that their responses are actually quite different. 
Zechariah responds to the angel in verse 18, when the angel says to Zechariah that Elizabeth will bear a son, Zechariah responds, how can I be sure of this, right? In his despair, he can't simply trust that this promise will come true. He needs proof and he needs certainty. He wants to know exactly what, how, and when this is going to happen. But when we look at Mary, on the other hand, we see her response, not so much seeking proof, but more with simplicity and a little bit of wonder and curiosity. Unlike Zechariah, she doesn't ask, how could this happen? She asks, how will this happen? In other words, she trusts that God's promise to her will happen. She would just like a little bit of clarity around how she'll get pregnant without, you know, the birds and the bees and all that stuff, right? So yes, Mary has a desire to know how she will give birth as a virgin. But when she asks, all she gets from the from the angel is this mysterious answer of the Holy Spirit's power. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And Mary doesn't ask any follow-up questions. She simply surrenders herself and trusts God's promise. I love this in verse 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In these angelic encounters between Zechariah and Mary, we see two opposite responses to God's promise. While Zechariah responds with disbelief and despair, Mary responds with belief and hope. And the outcome of disbelief and despair for Zechariah is nine months with no speaking, a pregnancy of his own to wrestle with. But for Mary, the outcome of her belief is, is hope, and blessing, right? Immediately after Mary encounters this angel, she hurries to find Zechariah's wife, Elizabeth. At this point in the story, Elizabeth is already six months pregnant and her baby leaps in her womb when Mary arrives. I love this scene. Mary was just given unbelievable news in her encounter with an angel. And who does she run to tell? Her aunt, Elizabeth. We don't know uh, Mary's exact age, but she was probably around 12 or 13 years old. And she was just given news that would change her entire life. Not only is she pregnant, but she's still unmarried at this point. She's in an extremely vulnerable place. And she needs to be with someone that she can trust. Someone who will help her make sense of all this confusion. So she rushes off and finds her aunt, Elizabeth. And I love Elizabeth's response to Mary. She doesn't ask questions. She doesn't try to understand all the details or try to figure out what's going on. No, she just speaks words of blessing blessing over her niece. Verse 30, uh, 42, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth is just overwhelmed with gratitude and she rightfully sees Mary, her true identity as not merely some young mother to be, but as the very mother of the Messiah. Verse 43, Elizabeth expressed her astonishment. She says, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In this moment, 
of profound vulnerability, when Mary must have had so many thoughts and questions and concerns swirling around her head, Elizabeth simply affirms the promise that God has made to her, and she commends Mary's trust as the right and proper response. Listen to these powerful, powerful words of blessing from verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The contrast between Zechariah, Mary, and Elizabeth is undeniable. Zechariah's despair led him to disbelief, but Mary and Elizabeth chose to hold on to hope. They chose to believe that God's promises, as unexpected and maybe even undesirable as they may have been, were trustworthy and true. In both Mary and Elizabeth, we see a powerful image of what hope can look like. And I think just like Mary and Elizabeth, we all want to be people of hope. We don't want to be people of despair, right? We don't have to look around to, to see all kinds of, of apathy, emptiness, despair. It's all around us. We don't have to look far. With all the hardship we face in our own lives, all the brokenness in our own neighborhoods, families, our city, all the pain in our world, so many of us and so many of the people we know have given up on hope. We've given up on anything ever changing. But hope is not merely about blind optimism or wishful thinking or just having a positive outlook on life. No, in a world of despair, hope is a posture that requires deep work and intentionality. So I want to take a, a closer look at hope. I want to look at this story and see what we might learn about hope and how we can press into hope today. As we do this, I think we'll see three things about hope from Elizabeth and Mary. First, we see that hope is rooted in a promise. Second, hope is rooted in community. And finally, hope is rooted in practice. So we're going to look at each, each of those three. We'll begin uh, first with hope is rooted in a promise. I think Mary and Elizabeth were able to be women with such profound hope because they had received a promise from God. Both were promised not only miraculous pregnancies, but to play crucial roles in the salvation story of humanity. For Elizabeth, she was promised a son who would prepare the way of the Lord. Her son, John the Baptist, preached the good news and he, he preached about the coming savior, right? And he helped bridge the gap from the, the prophets to the birth of Christ. Christ. And Mary, as we know, was promised a son who would reign forever as both savior and king. But here's the crucial part. Mary and Elizabeth didn't simply receive a promise. They didn't just hear a promise from God. They trusted and they believed that that promise would come true. As scary and unexpected as these promises may have been, Mary and Elizabeth trusted that God had good plans for their life, so they chose to believe. Belief is an interesting thing, right? Many of us, when we hear the word belief, we think of it in its most simple or basic sense, right? We hear things like, I believe in the existence of God, or I believe in the value of hard work. Sure, those are beliefs, but biblical belief is much less about accepting something as true intellectually and much more about placing all of your faith and trust in something, or more accurately, in someone, in God. So belief in God 
right? is not merely about believing that God exists. It's about arranging my entire life around God's love, God's presence, God's activity in my life fully and holistically. Um, The theologian Karl Barth says it beautifully about belief. He says, believing is not something as special and difficult or even unnatural as we often suppose. Believing means that what we listen to, we listen to as God's speech. What moves us is not just our own concern, but precisely God's concern. What causes me worry, that is God's worry. What gives me joy is God's joy. What I hope for is God's hope. This deeper kind of belief places God's joy, God's concern, God's hope at the center of everything. That's the kind of belief that Elizabeth saw in Mary, right? When she says, blessed is she who has believed that God would fulfill his promises to her. It's that kind of belief. And it's on this foundation of belief in the promises of God that hope can begin to blossom. In other words, their hope wasn't rooted in their own sort of preferences or wishes for their life. It wasn't rooted in trying to control the future or just actualize their own desires, Nothing wrong with desire. We all have them. But the problem comes when we place our hope in our desires alone, right? Our desire could be something small, like I hope I get the new iPhone for Christmas, right? Or our desire could be something a bit more serious, like I hope I get that job I'm interested in, or I hope my relationship with that person in my family gets healed, Or maybe our desire lies in one of the most common places that we Americans put our hope in politics. Remember Barack Obama's 2008 presidential campaign? The whole thing was built on hope. And if you don't think you place your hope in politics, how did you feel when Trump was elected in 2016? Or how did you feel when Biden was elected in 2020? How are you feeling about the upcoming 2024 presidential election, right? You see, you care about these things. You place some hope there. I'm secretly hoping that Taylor Swift runs for president in 2024 because if she can unite pop music fans and football lovers, then she can definitely find a way to unite our divided country. Um, But seriously, hear me out. I'm I'm not saying we shouldn't care about these things. I'm not saying they don't matter. They most certainly do. But when our hope is placed in a particular outcome, like getting that new toy or phone or whatever it is, or getting that new job, or, or even finding uh, healing in a relationship, when our hope is placed there, rather than in a particular promise from God, we are setting ourselves up to be heartbroken. Here's Henry Nouwen on placing our hope in God rather than our own wishes He says, much of our waiting is filled with wishes. We want the future to go in a very specific direction. And if this does not happen, we are disappointed and can even slip into despair. But Elizabeth and Mary were not filled with wishes. They were filled with hope. Hope is something very different. Hope is trusting that something will be fulfilled, but fulfilled according to the promises and not just according to our wishes. So like Mary like Elizabeth, we too must ask ask ourselves, what has God promised to be true? Where can we place our hope? Sadly, God may not promise us 
Taylor Swift for president in 2024. I mean, there is still time, so maybe. But God has promised a few things, right? God has promised to be with us through all the ups and downs of life. God has promised that he's preparing a place for us and he'll wipe every tear from our eyes. God has promised to come again and save us from all the pain we've experienced and all the pain we've caused to one another. So hope must be rooted in God's promises. That's the first thing. The next thing that we learn from Mary and Elizabeth is that hope is rooted in community. Community. One of the most helpful ways to ask ourselves to discern whether or not we're placing our hope in God's promises or in our own wishes is through community. Remember the very first thing that Mary did when she received this word from the angel. She rushed off to her aunt Elizabeth. She was so confused. She must have been in need of some help from a wise and trustworthy friend, from a trusted elder. And Elizabeth knew exactly what Mary was going through because just six months earlier, she had received a very similar message from an angel. So Elizabeth could confidently affirm what Mary was going through. And she could say, Mary, what you heard was in fact a promise from God. I'm here. I will comfort you through all the unknowns of the next nine months, right? It's a powerful thing when you get to affirm God's promise in someone else's life, right? Have you ever felt like God was speaking something to you or stirring something in you, but you just weren't totally sure where it was coming from or if it was really God? So you go to a trusted friend and you you tell them what you're going through and they just help you navigate it. They help you kind of discern, right? I think God's telling me to move to a new place or I think God's telling me to find a new career path or whatever it may be. And they know you so well that they can just affirm and say, yes, that actually really sounds like a great thing for you. I I think that God may be leading you to do that. Or they push back and say, you know what? I don't know if that's God leading you to do that. That sounds like shame or that sounds like guilt or that, you know, whatever it is, they can just kind of help you discern God's voice, God's will for your life. But in our culture, we are so hyper-individualist, right? We, we're so individualist that many of us don't have that type of relationship where we can have this level of vulnerability and honesty and trust. We've, many of us, I know I fall into this camp a lot, believe that lie that if I just think hard enough about it or pray long enough about it, I'll be able to figure it out myself. But it takes community to discern the will of God in your life and to do it together. What would it look like for you to be an Elizabeth-type figure for someone else, to, to get to know someone, to be so present in someone's life that they can come to you when they're having questions and you can affirm God's voice for them? Or what about when you're in more of a Mary situation? Do, do you, do I have the courage to go to someone and ask them to help me discern God's voice or God's will for my life. These kinds of relationships are essential to kindle the flame of hope in our life, right? Here's Henry Nouwen again. I just, he has this beautiful um, essay on waiting and hope. And I love his, his words about Mary and Elizabeth. He says, these two women created space for each other to wait. They affirmed for each other that something was happening that was worth waiting for. Something was happening that was worth waiting for. That is what hope is all about. 
this season of hope that we're in, this Advent season, it's not really, like I said, it's not really about the birth of Christ, as amazing as that is. That's what Christmas is for. Advent, on the other hand, is not about birth. It's about pregnancy. Think about all the planning, preparation, and all the waiting that has to happen before a pregnant woman can give birth. Doctor's visits, baby showers, setting up the nursery, birth classes. There is so much to do before baby arrives, right? Shout out to any of the pregnant women in the room here or any new mothers, right? Can I get an amen? It's a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, um, and a lot of waiting. There's only so much you can do, right? Hope is the same is very, very similar, right, to that. It's not just a feeling of optimism that something could happen out of the blue. It's fully believing that God's promise is true and it will come to pass and therefore actively preparing yourself for what is to come. That leads to the third thing I think we learn from Mary and Elizabeth about hope. First, hope is rooted in a promise. Second, hope is rooted in community. And third, hope is rooted in practice. Because hope is always rooted in a future promise of God, it's not something that we can just accomplish in one attempt or one day, right? Okay, I hoped for Jesus to come again. Yay, I did it. I'm done with this whole hope thing now. No, Hope is an ongoing process that must be practiced one day at a time. That's why, for the most part, hope can just look like waiting, right? We've already received a promise. We're making the preparations. And now all we can do is wait. But in our culture of instant gratification, there is nothing worse than waiting. We're so used to the immediacy of modern life that we think waiting for the train or standing in line at the grocery store must be avoided at all costs. I get it. Not to mention the constant availability of our phones, which means that if we do have to wait a few minutes for something, we can just scroll through Instagram or TikTok or whatever your app of choice may be. But what if we saw waiting less as an inconvenience to be avoided and more as a spiritual practice to embrace? What if the practice of waiting is actually integral to becoming a person of hope rather than despair? The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome all about this inextricable relationship between hope and waiting. He says, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It may seem like waiting is this completely passive, uh, useless thing that's determined by circumstances that are outside of our own control. And it can lead us to a sense of hopelessness or passivity. But But hopeful waiting is actually active. It requires attention and activity on our part. Just like a pregnant mother waits with all the preparation and anticipation of giving birth, our practice of waiting requires not passivity, but activity. It requires trust that what God has promised will come to pass. It requires attentiveness to the current moment, right? And awareness of how God is working here and now. Active waiting means letting God act in God's timing rather than taking things into my own hands and manipulating them for my own sake. In other words, active waiting 
requires a painful amount of patience. I say a painful amount of patience because when we really deeply care about something, when we really deeply desire something to come to pass, it is so difficult to be patient. True patience is not the same thing as passivity. In that same article from Henry Nouwen, he he has this line about the difference between impatient people and patient people. And it just really struck me when I read it. He says, impatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else, and therefore they want to go elsewhere. The moment is empty. But patient people dare to stay where they are. Patient living means to live actively in the present and wait there. In this season of Advent, we must do everything we can to embrace the moment, to not rush immediately ahead to Christ's birth. All of our surroundings are telling us to hurry up, buy more, do more, put another event on your calendar, right? But what if God's inviting us to slow down, to prepare ourselves, to prepare our hearts? I love that line from Joy to the World. Let every heart prepare him room, right? It's like we too need to make room for, for Mary and Jesus to be born and to come to us again, right? What would it look like for us this year to join Mary and Elizabeth and even Zechariah, who did come around, right, as they cling to the promises of God, as they wait patiently with hope for what is to come? As we wait, uh, may our hope not be rooted in our own wishes, but in God's promises. May our hope be rooted not in our own individual selves, but with community. And may our hope not be rooted in passivity, but in practice. And our unanswered hopes and dreams, they may still be there. And they can so easily lead us to a sense of despair, right? But let's look to Mary. Let's look to Elizabeth. And, and let's pray. Let's ask God to make us people who, who, who can receive the same blessing that Mary received from Elizabeth, that one day these words may too be spoken over us. Blessed is he, blessed is she, blessed are they who have believed that the promises of God would be fulfilled to them. May that be so for us this Advent. May we have that same hope that Mary and Elizabeth had. Let's, let's pray. God, um, each of us are clinging to, to your promises in different ways this season. Um, some of us are unsure exactly what you may be inviting us into. Some of us unsure exactly what the promise is. But help us, Lord, um, to, to reflect, to lean in, maybe to find a biblical promise that we could cling to um, in this Advent season, that we could cling to your promise, that we could find uh, a trusted spiritual friend, mentor, a family member to lean into hope with this season, um, and ultimately to trust that even after we've received your promise, even after we've made our own preparations, sometimes all we can do is wait and be present to the moment, even while longing for what is to come. So help us, God, to be those kinds of people this Advent season. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.